Our state-by-state -state look at coronavirus trends is more encouraging this Sunday. Welcome to the Alt Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth. The wildfires that have devastated parts of Australia. Doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future at the intersection of self, community, and planet. We live in uncertain times, a powerful moment of revolution. How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of alt-normal we consciously remake together. Everyone has a part to play. Let's rise. Shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The alt-normal. Welcome to the Alt Normal. This is episode 13, and my name is Tiffany Wen. I'll be the host of the show. And super excited to have our guest deck today, who I'll introduce in a bit. But first, if you are new, welcome. If you're a regular tuning back in, thanks so much for coming back. Um, if you guys find this conversation lighting you up uh, by the end of this episode, please show us the love and give us a subscribe, a rating, or a review. You know, we really want to um, spread these stories as far and wide as we can. So what is the Alt Normal? Why are we here? This is a show that centers and celebrates diversity as a beautiful and absolutely critical building block for um, navigating this post-pandemic world. It really began with the question of how might we reframe this new normal that was handed to us as crisis and create an alt-normal or alternative reality that we remake together in our diversity for a more resilient and healthier culture. So in this grave crisis of systems collapse, racial injustice, global economic disaster, really lies this opportunity for a massive you know, paradigm shift in how we relate to ourselves, those around us in community, and of course, the, the earth. So the old systems and ways are really dying out and something new is emerging. And, you know, we really believe here at the Alt Normal that we need a new story for humanity that includes diverse voices and identities, leaning into the complexity of who we are, not simply what's just perceived as normal or comfortable. So this show gives us a front row seat into the change makers, activists, bridge builders, and conscious entrepreneurs that are really creating this new story. So before introducing our guests today, I just want to give a big shout out to Zest, a plant-based restaurant here in Ubud, Bali, for hosting this conversation today. Zest is a plant-based restaurant, and their mission is powered by plants made for people that brings conversation, community, and of course, creative vegan food together in this beautiful oasis of nature that you can't see, but it is very colorful and very alive. And so we're very, very grateful to be here. And also this podcast was produced by Resonance, a creative practice that specializes in the design of your highest brand intelligence. The mission of Resonance is to humanize brand stories, create compelling content ecosystems that deliver long lasting impact and then grow audiences authentically in the world. So really excited to be making this happen with so many creative people. And without further ado, I would like to introduce our guest today, Deck. 
So Deck, I see as this community leader um, and really a true bridge person between the Western and the Balinese communities. Um, he was born in an artist and environmentally conscious family. I see Deck as a Renaissance man involved in wide ranging projects such as the development of the youth, overseeing the development of the environment in his village, the management of monkey forest tourism. For those of you who have been here, you know how popular and how beautiful monkey forest is. The compost house, which we'll talk a little bit about today, um, a pilot village, organic garden, and so much more. Deck was instrumental in building the Balinese economy back up following the economic crisis of 1998 and the tragedy of the Bali bombings, there were two. In the early 2000s, Deck and his wife Meg spearheaded the launch of Bali Spirit, which is a platform for socially conscious tourism and business, cafe, a healthy restaurant, Yoga Barn, which is one of Southeast Asia's biggest yoga and wellness centers, and Bali Spirit Festival, a premier international and holistic wellness and world music destination event that contributes positively to ecological health, cultural vibrancy, and overall vitality of Bali and greater Indonesia. All of this plus an HIV AIDS educational program, Bali Regreen Project, which plants bamboo for free, Kebun Bistro, another restaurant, and Yogi Garden. So Deck is the Renaissance man of Bali, and I'm excited to touch on um, at least some of these things um, that really brings him to life. So today's show is really centering on what it means to be a community leader in Bali during COVID times and the state of both the Western community and Balinese community right now in the absence of tourism. So thanks for coming on the show, Deck. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so I would love to start um, exploring you in terms of this philosophy that you shared with me when we met each other for the first time. So there's this philosophy in Bali called Trihita Karana, and it basically encapsulates the essence of the Balinese culture by saying that when um, harmony with self, environment, and community are in balance, you could say life is in balance. And you shared that there's this framework that um, you really connect with and resonate with called spirituality, humanity, and environment, taking this Trihita Karana a step further. And um, yeah, and saying that it's a much more rational way of really, I guess, applying that spirituality. So I'd love to start by asking you what this framework means to you and why do you take this more, I guess, rational approach to this philosophy? <laughs> well, thank you for the opportunity to share. Uh, basically, I grew up in a family, right, uh, with all of the spiritual practice, much more into the earth kind of level. So for us, spirituality is not about being up there, it's being down here, how to implement it. Uh, in the Western world, maybe you said, you know, how you walk, your talk. So this moment, I think, is very magical moment, especially when you put me on the number 13 on your episode. So it's really magical. But, uh, you know, like in, in Bali, basically, we did talk from the beginning, from very early age about this concept, the Trihita Karana. But to me, later on, I find out there's two formal. 
you know, we need to get it down so everybody could relate to it. Uh, we not just have to hold and apply this concept in Bali, but we have to spread it all over the world so people have a better understanding, easier to understand, uh, easier to apply. And uh, when we talk about the Balinese culture, basically there's three pillars of life, we call it. You know, as a theory, it's three hitakarana. To create harmonized living, you have to create harmonized relationship with spiritual being, with the people, with the nature. But then nowadays, I think, you know, like uh, when we talk about that, it's just too formal. So I'm trying to find a way as well also because I'm in a crossing world. My wife is Western, I'm here. So I often find myself to be the bridge of the two cultures. So for me, I think I believe that I have this mission how to visualizing this, how to present this in a different safer form so people have an easy understanding about that. And then by the time when I look at it, spirituality in Bali, or Balinese culture basically have these three important aspects of it. Spirituality, humanity, and environment. So all of this have to be united together, have to be like moving together at the same, same time. You cannot just take spiritual as a spiritual activities itself without connecting with the humanity, without connecting with the nature. Because to be spiritual, you have to cover the whole aspect of it. So then uh, it is true, you know, like spirituality on some extent is much more kind of individual freedom. You could be Muslim, you could be Hindus, you could be Buddhist, whatsoever what you choose with. But the essence of it that you do believe that there's a power out there who giving you the opportunity to believe here, to provide you with anything, which by science maybe is hard to make it logic, right? So there's a reason for being here. There's spiritual reason for it. But then in a physical way, we provide it with the nature. And we put it into a frame of culture which is live side by side with the human. So we have to combine all of this you know, how we could combine it together, that's basically to me spirituality. How you're taking care of the nature, not just, you know, spiritual is not just mean going to the temple and pray. That's another aspect of spirituality. How you present yourself, what is the ethic in it, and how your attitude toward the nature, how your attitude toward the human being. So that's for me. I love it. And you, you mentioned, right, that you were very much influenced by having grown up in a family that was very connected to the earth. And just to give people out there who, you know, are on the spiritual path, but also trying to open up to the fullness of what that means. And now hearing you talk about, you know, bringing it down to earth. Could you just name or give us an example of uh, a practice that you do that really helps you feel connected to spirituality in the realm of the earth and how we really bring this principle to life. Just something that you do personally. Well, for me, you know, like being spiritual, there's many different ways of doing it. You know, in Bali, we call it Chatur Yoga, the four different ways of being spiritual, to dedicate your life to spiritual being. And two of them is karma and bhakti, doing things in the right way and then believing and be devotees of something. So you could be a doctor, you could be a pharmacist, you could be just simply swept the floor. But all of this occupation, we call it, the job, we call it, they have their special ethic. How to be a good doctor, how to be a good pharmacist, how to be a good businessman, how to be a good teacher, simply how to be a person, right? So spirituality, basically, it's uh, to me, in a practical way, 
well, if if you are a businessman, you know, your business have to be ethical toward the environment. Make it. You now concept like ecologically friendly. How are you taking care of your garbage? That's spirituality. You know, because to us, the earth is the mother earth, the pertivity. That also the power of the God itself. Right? If you throw your garbage, not in a good way, you're just you know, wasting it and using a lot of plastic, toxic and all of that to the earth. That will be contained, contaminated the earth, right? In spiritual practice, you have no ethic from my point of view. So in in the family of mind, I was taught from I was a kid as far as I remember. I grew up in a really big family. My great grandfather was the head of the village back in the 1960s, who basically the conductor. Yeah, he was conducting the renovation of Mokipuris Temple the way it is right now. So our family is tied up with that. I given the first chisel when I was six years old to be able to learn to using my hand, dedicate, dedicate myself as a tuka, a doer. Be part of spirituality by doing something in the right way. So my family is a builder. Some of them is a high priest right now. Some of them is a temple priest. A lot of practical as well. And then uh, I found myself also continuing my dad's job. He was part of the Banyar leader. And then I became a youth leader. So those kind of thing, you know, like for me, is part of spiritual practice. How you became a part of the whole system. You know, like you could be community leaders, you could be an artist, you could be whatever. And what you do in life is offering. You're offering your services, whatever field, whatever skill you have. That's a practice of spirituality. Nice. Yeah. It's very practical and very real and accessible. And I guess um, as we shift now into Bali and how it's navigated crisis in the past, I'd love to keep sort of, yeah, this in the back of our minds, how spirituality has really showed up in your life, but also in the, in the way, in the way that the Balinese show up as a culture. So um, at, yeah, like I said, I'd like to kind of go into um, Bali's history of not just bouncing back from crisis, but turning adversity into prosperity. This was back in the early 2000s. And you and Meg, your wife, were a big part of making this happen. And if it happened once, Bali bouncing back from really hard times, surely it can happen again, especially yeah. in these current times. So for context for you guys who aren't so aware of the history of Bali, um, you know, Bali, probably you've known, has been on the rise as a health and spirituality uh, tourism destination um, for a while now, but especially since the early 2000s. And preceding the boom in tourism that soon followed, Bali took a huge beating with the bombings that took place in the tourist areas of Kuta, which was in 2002, 2002. and Jimbaran in 2005. Yeah. And then a few months after the, the bombings, Bali had lost its tourist trade. And as a result, um, the Balinese really suffered a huge financial loss. Um, but as always, Bali demonstrated resiliency and bounced back, you could say even stronger um, than before. <clears throat> and so just to set the context, you know, you and Meg started many things after these bombings, including cafe, a healthy organic restaurant, uh, Yoga Barn, one of the biggest yoga and wellness centers in Southeast Asia, Bali Spirit Festival, which draws, you know, 
international teachers and just people who are seeking from all four corners of the world. And yeah, I would just like to ask you, can you talk about what it was like to create these new initiatives with spirituality in mind and service and community, all the things that you were kind of talking about before and how that not just impacted tourism, but how that really impacted the Balinese who were, you know, receiving that as well by being um, citizens of this land. Yeah, what was it like for the Balinese if we could travel <laughs> back in time? It is, a, you know, right now, which is pandemic is really the hardest the hardest time in comparison with all of this tragedy happening in Bali the Bali uh, the economic crisis in 98th and then we have the Bali bomb 2002 the Bali bomb second 2005 and then after that we have the eruption of Monagong and now we have this pandemic pandemic is really like the biggest one because it's globally also happening but what I see from uh, you know a different ways of how I think uh, Balinese see this fact basically when things happen like this I think we always see it from a two different side of life spiritual aspect and physical aspect of it so I think it's, it was formed from long time ago when Bali basically grew up in a Hindu culture which we believe with karma shit happened for a reason it could be a bad reason but it could be a really good reason tragedy give you opportunity to see what happened to see, to give you a showcase about, you know, flashback about what maybe goes right and what possibly goes wrong and how we move on from there. So when this pandemic happened, basically, there's two organizations happening in Bali. The formal organization conducted by the federal government in Jakarta. And then there's a local organization, which is Desa Ada, the traditional village. So the approach is different. So from a local perspective, okay, something happened. This is karma. How we see this one is spiritual way. Something maybe we, we did wrong, something maybe not right. You know, it should be happened this way. This is like a nat uh, natural filter. You know, it is a filter basically to us. You know, what's right, what's wrong, why it's happened here. You know, why it's happened this way. And then uh, different ways basically from a science perspective, which is this is a sickness, right? So we have to cover that one. So in Bali, I think, both of them, of course, when, when this thing happened, the first thing that we have this letter come from the Majlis Desa Adat, which is a village organization which walks side by side with the Hindus organization of Bali. The first thing that we have, okay, we do the prayer. Have, ask for guidance. You know, why is this thing happen? What could we do next? So people doing the ceremony, people that, we not run away from that, but knowledge that spiritually there's something also happening which we have to tackle. Not just about, okay, now we lock down. Lockdown is not really the way how to solve the problem. The first thing is realizing that we have a problem, both physical and spiritually. And that also gives a different approach, you know. I think also come from the fact that when I was a kid, because of my family, a lot of them in spiritual teaching. And then there's one teaching about life. We're not on life. We come here for briefly. And then we have to go. We have to go home. We're not dying. We're going home. There's no word that's died in Bali. We just know this. This is a place to learn, and then after that, we're going home. Where do we going home to? We're going to the creator. So sooner or later, that's happened. You know, now it's given us a chance also, you know, basically you direct it. You like it or not, going closer to the earth, to the nature. Realizing you are a little dot as a small aspect of the whole nature. 
Uh, I love that philosophy or the, um, what really just stuck out to me is the fact that there is no word for die in yeah. Bahasa and actually anything that kind of resembles either literal death or the ending of something is kind of this moment to go back into that spirituality and or whatever word you want to use for it to really transform something or to really ask for guidance or to go deeper within to find the answers that exist within our universal I guess the word you used was creatorship or the inner creator and um, I guess I, I do want to go into that a bit more but I guess just for those of us who know Bali as this you know, wellness and spirituality destination for Westerners. Like, I think it's pretty powerful that you and your wife, you know, were a huge sort of um, leaders in, in in making that happen and opening that pathway for more people to come in and be part think, of that community. I think to us, you know, we, we're not really the one who are doing that. The surrounding force us to be part of Bali already have the capacity before we even exist, before the yoga exists. You know, all of this power basically is already piled up. You know, Bali, it's a magical place at the first place. Ubud, starting with tourism because of its art, culture, spirituality, healing. It's already here. It's just not packaging in that kind of ways. Likely that all of this is started happening to us, kind of reminding us, all of us, including me and Mac, you know, how we could reviving the tourism from the essence what Bali is. We put that out, we're digging. You know, like, why is Bali started? Why is Ubud started, you know, as a place of the tourism? What really is the strength of Ubud to be brought out to inviting people to come? Why people come? What is the magic of Ubud? Tell us about that. What is so the magic we, of Ubud? We're trying. we also in the mission of finding what is the magic of Ubud, right? So when we look back, basically, a lot of people said Ubud has come from the world Ubat. Ubat been medicine, both ways, physically and spiritually. What is the spiritual medicine? It's healing, right? So we have to combine that one together. And I think uh, the reason why we launched uh, Balispirit.com, basically, in the first place, which is Megan's job, basically, she launched that one in order to promote the holistic destination. We cannot see tourism as a partial activity. You know, in, in a lot of ways that tourism already became a tool of how providing income, money, how to generate growth, how to generate economic growth and all of that stuff. But, you know, tourism, not just that. Not just like how many people we have to come to invite to come to Bali, which is later on became mass tourism, became quantity, it's not a quality of tourism. So when you're dealing with the quantity, basically, the nature could be ruined in a lot of ways. Bali have such a limited access of natural resources, space, and all of that. But that tourism, the mass tourism come, you know, on a lot of ways is already kind of diluting the cultures. On some ways, disturbing the balance of the nature. So we're trying to bring that up, you know, what could we do? So tourism have to be also come with consciousness. That's why when also we open in cafe, from the first place, we, we have a campaign about reducing the use of the plastic. We're applying, you know, okay, let's try to promote the healthy food. Because if you got a healthy food, you got a healthy body, and you got a, you know, a base for healthy spiritual practice. And then we add it on with yoga. 
Yoga is one of those ways how to be healthy, how to use this cage in a good way. Because to us, the body is the cage itself. The cages come from the earth, how you respect that one. So we're trying to combine all of this thing, you know, like we, we give them a chance to live in Ubud, to benefiting with all of the power, both physical and spiritual aspect of Ubud life, Ubud culture. For a long time ago, we're trying to revive this one again. And, and the tragedy of tourism, if I may to say, every time this tragedy happening, it's kind of the time for us to evaluate. You know, what wrong? What new opportunity? And the tourism all is sipped. Well, before, before the Bali bomb, everybody go to the pub, nightclub. And after that, people are afraid about going there because they're afraid about the crowd will be a target for terrorist attack, right? Mm. So then people moving up to Ubud. And happening in Ubud, we have a space. We have this kind of spirituality. We have healing, all of this stuff. And then the eat, play, and love coming in, right? So sifting from mass tourism to be in a nightclub, go for healing, right? And that's happening until now we have the pandemic. So I, um, I love that you have seen it evolve from this, I guess, quantity-based sort of, right, crowds and nightclub and party into something that's more conscious, into something that's more about making yourself better so that you can show up in the world better. And that shift has been, I think, really attracting a, a different kind of person to different. Bali. And I mean, I guess from you, from where you sit, because you've almost been like a historian, you've seen it, you know, before it became what it is today. How have you seen this sort of spirituality community evolve in the last 20 years? Because before we came on the podcast together, we were talking about how you mentioned to me how someone once asked you, and maybe this has happened many times, I think it's just a normal part of cultural conversation about like, okay, cool, you opened up Bali to um, spirituality and, and tourism, and that's great. And, you know, there's always going to be the good apples and the bad apples. Sure. But what about people who have taken spirituality and, spirituality and commercialized it and are diluting it and making it less about what it really is and more about the material and about you know, selling it or just making it more of a scene, you know, how do you, have you seen spirituality evolve in a, in a way that you think is good or how have you seen spirituality evolve? Uh, you know, like tourism on some ways, I just like short with both side of it, the shop side of it. Could be good, could be bad. It's really mm -hmm. dependent on how we're going to use the short, right? And uh, I think right now for us in Bali, basically, there's, there's two sides of life we have. That's a secret, that's public. Spiritually, like, like a temple, for example, in Bali. The temple always divided into three different areas. The outer area, you're allowed to do whatever you want. And then the second courtyard, which identified by, you have to go through the split gate as a symbolize of it's okay for you to have a split mind to think about something else, but prepare yourself to enter the inner side of the temple. So that's why in the second courtyard, then you have the entertainment, you have socializing, you have the dance, you, you know, meet people, prepare your offering, prepare the tools, whatever you need for pray. And right after that, you have this gate with a solid top. You, you walk underneath of it as a symbol. There's one thing pointy. The only reason you go inside is to pray to be with the Creator, to be with the God. So that's why in some places we not allow people, tourists, to come in. 
just because we want. That's that's not place for selfie. That's not a place for photograph. That's a place where you have your connection, your personal connection with the God, whoever believe it. But that's also ethic. Everybody should welcome to come in as far as they want to pray with certain kind of ethic. You have to dress in temple dress. You have to do all of this stuff. So I think tourism also, on some ways, in the same way. You know, tourism get us opportunity that we economically we could generate income. But at the same time, this income, I think we need to be wise with it. What we're going to use the income for? I believe that the tourism not just about money maker, but the tourism also have to have its mission: education, conservation, distribution, you know, consciousness. All of this have to be combined. That's why now we came with the idea of holistic tourism. You cannot see tourism partial. You have to see the tourism as a total. Because basically you come to Bali. What you see, not just Bali, Bali landscape. You're dealing with the Balinese people. You're dealing with the Balinese ethic. You're dealing with the Balinese cultures. Your how to be there is not just up to the guests, but also we have to educate the guests. We have to educate ourselves how to embrace tourism. So it's not became disaster. So everything could be disaster, but I think it's really depend on the way how we deal with it, right? Okay. For me, for example, Bali Spirit Festival, we created it as a place how people could come and be inspired. And then we have a showcase what could inspire them. There's spiritual practice. There's a, a, a area, you know, with a tagline, a zero waste festival. So to teach people, okay, taking care of your waste. And we have a waste divider. And then from there, we also have an NGO to those people who doing a lot of good things for community, contributing to communities. And then we embracing the people into class. You know, how you be nice to creating the ambient of the class to be nice. How you get in touch with the people, with the humanity. And then when you walk out from there, then you see, you know, how we could contribute from this energy. You bring this energy out. You know, for us, basically, we, we creating the giving back to community through the Bali Regreen Project and through, let's talk about HIV AIDS. So we give a showcase to the people how we could be inspired to be you know, part of the whole movement creating this harmonized living. So indirectly, you talk about Trihita Karana. <laughs> You're doing it. Because to us, basically, beside the Trihita Karana, we have a second concept, the Tri Kaya Parishuddha. The three actions you have to do it right. Manachika, think it through in the right way. Wachika, voice it out, communicating with people in a good way. And then Kayika, do it in the right way. So you have think it through, you know, talk it through, and then walk your talk in a good way. So there's all three aspects of it. That could be done without saying, what is that theory? So much more is implementation of it instead of just, you know, on the bubble of talking and thinking about it. So bring it down to the earth so people see it. <laughs> well, this is a great segue. Um, and I want to talk about community leadership and um, I think I was talking to someone before the show that really when I, you know, because on the All Normal, we've had a lot of people who are involved in the community, involved in thinking about things holistically. So not just what can I get, but what, how can I serve others? Um, but you really are the OG, like the original gangster. I see you just, you have your hands in so many pots and it's just because it's part of who you are. So let's unpack that a little bit. So community leadership, like you mentioned about your great-grandfather, being at the head of 
restoration for Monkey Forest and just the, the lineage that you came from, it really runs in your family. You're also, your mother was a school principal for over 30 years, and your work really touches everything from waste management in your village or Banjar, for those of you who don't know Bahasa, um, to a compost project in Monkey Forest. And I'd love to really go deeper and find those threads that unite all these different passion points, especially in this context where no small action is too small. Everything, I think, in service is going to create ripple effects of even more service and kindness and all these other values that we're talking about. So I just want to start off by asking you, what does it mean to be a community leader in Bali during this time? You've been one for, seems like your whole life, but what does it mean to be a community leader to you? This is also another, another word I think we didn't really know in Bali. A leader. There's no word as a leader. We all pengaya, dedicate ourselves. We're doing seba. We're doing our services. So pengaya, the word pengaya basically is serving the community, serving the nature, serving the God. This is doing things in the right way as part of the application of karma yoga. You be part of the whole system doing whatever you do. And uh, so in this time, basically, doesn't really matter what you do. You could be a high priest in a ceremony, but you could simply be a people who sweat law. You're doing the good thing. You know, who, which one is more important? Both of them is important. If the people who sweat the floor is not there, the surrounding will be like all garbage around. You know, the priest cannot start ceremony until all clean, right? So in that way, even the priest, even these people simply sweat the floor, they have the same position, surfing life. As well, and also in the community, we have Klian Banyar, we have Vanessa Adat, we call it leader nowadays, but basically they are pengaya. They are the one who's serving the communities. They are representative of the people. The people is the leader. They are serving the people. So this is basically the concept which is making different because when you realize that one that you're doing your serve, you're going to try to be the best server. How you could be part of the whole thing. Everybody have to realize what their duty, what their responsibility, and what's the job, and how to be part of that. So I find it uh, really interesting, you know, like, you not choose to be a leader in the Balinese community. People choose you to be a leader. It's not important to be yourself. It's important to be part of the whole system. So there's old saying in Bali, Dong Adenawa Biso. Don't think that you know everything. Let other people tell you who you are. So in some ways, it's very uh, opposite, you know. In the Western uh, learning, basically, do whatever you want to do. You could do it. You could be yourself. The recognition has come from the people, not from yourself. You just do things, you know, based on your duty, what, what you're good at, even a small thing, and then people would recognize what you could do, who you are. This label is given by the people, not you created yourself. You have the capability. You have the potential. In the end of it, you know, it seems like you're going to school. Everybody is smart, but could you pass the test? When you have the examination, you have the diploma, then the school recognizes you in a formal way. Oh, you graduated. Same thing in the community. So being a leader is not about who you are. It's like how you could be part, how you could be you know, encouraging people and then pushing people to, to be in one movement. Wow, that's amazing. It's really, 
a conscious way to put your ego on the shelf and to think... There's no ego involved. When ego involved... I mean, we have ego, right? The best thing right now, how you could be away from your ego, be natural. Everybody has the potential to be. It's interesting. I heard a quote a while back when I was living in an intentional community and a man who had been going there for 10 years said, identity is not what you take, it's what you give. And it's very much like that. I mean, it all comes back to action. What are you doing to show up? And that is a reflection of how you are part of that fabric of life, of community, of earth, in how you want to share your gifts or even in the smallest ways. And I really love that um, reminder because, um, you know, we talked again about this before the podcast, but that, you know, a long time back, there was a caste system here, but Mm -hmm. that is no longer true. But of course, even when something is outlawed, it takes a while for culture to catch up. But I loved what you said that you can have a high priest, but the high priest can't do his ceremony until everything's clean. So the person cleaning is just as important as the high priest, and they both have a role in the whole fabric of life to take exactly. place. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, as we're talking about, I guess I won't use the word leadership anymore because <laughs> I like that everyone's the own leader of themselves, right? And it that's is. how life can work. So with all of the things that you created, the businesses, the projects, the NGOs, um, the things you do in your village, you, you told me that you support 300 families at this time through employment, and that rounds out to about 1,200 people that you are supporting through um, employment. And, you know, we already know this because we've had a, a number of guests talk about, you know, the state of the economy right now in Bali. Um, so we know that the, the yeah, economics and, of course, the health aspect have really um, had a negative impact on the community, yet... I would love to hear from you, you know, what do you see in the community right now and and what has been the most challenging part about supporting your community during this pandemic, which has essentially been wiped out um, because tourism isn't happening? It's a a really hard call, you know, like uh, I never dream, if I could speak for both me and Meg, we never really dream that uh, we're going to have to be in this stage in the term of you know, that we have this businesses supporting that many family. And, um, but also come in a realization, you know, if not because of them, this business does not exist. I could have a great idea, but if there's nobody following up and make it into action plan on the ground, it's not going to happen. So uh, from the beginning of it, we never really, you know, like want to run our business into a formal corporate didn't even have uniform. I always like go there with a shot, you know, like a big shoot business people. You know, I want to maintain the relationship. They are not different than my extended family. We simply all in the same mission to make a living. I'm making a living. I just happen to be in the one in front to finding the seed with my wife. And then I have another person now planting the seed, watering the garden to make it grow to fruit together. And the end of the day, the fruit, we, we eat it all together. So uh, it was really hard for us after the pandemic realizing that, you know, geez, I have about 300 family behind me. You know. Me, with Meg, we are risk taker. We, we use, sometimes we have a lot of money in our hand, but most of the time we just maintain our cash flow. And that's all we have, the cash flow. 
And uh, so we take the risk, but those people who are just happy enough to be workers right now, knowing that they lose their job, is really hard. So it's, it's a really hard call. But, you know, the global economic already happening like this, it's really hard for us because there's no tourists in the first place. We have no visitors, we have no income. But luckily that we have a very open book, so our workers know about what's going on. So we just have them meeting, this is the case, and what's we going to do? So they decide, oh, it's not safe. As we didn't really know, like, whose people coming in with pandemic, with sickness, and we just didn't want to deal, we have family on all of this stuff. So we decided, okay, we're just going to shut it temporarily. And then we make sure that we pay for the insurance, the basic insurance for healthcare. And also, as much as we can, we provide them with food every month. We support them. We, even in the first couple of months, we have a special package for the kids, special package for the pregnant woman in our company. We make sure that HR of our company always on the top if something happens. And it's it's just really hard, you know, like uh, now also, well, we have a farm. So when we delivering the food also, whatever I produce in the farm, I just like create a package and give it to my workers. And a lot of them also struggling to find their own way what to do with it. And as well as we do the same thing, we're trying to, as, as much as we can right now, how to run to keep it. We're not just a business model, but we are also a role model. And um, on that, I love that. It's not just a business model. You're no, we're not. <laughs> a role model. Yeah, role model. <laughs> and, you know, I love the also... Um, yeah, thinking about your the people that you work with and that you're supporting as an as extended family because yeah. you guys are all working towards the same or a common mission. And I would love to kind of sort of move this conversation into what you've what you've created during this pandemic. I mean, you've created a lot of things, but if you could get specific and talk about something specific you've created during this pandemic that has really raise the spiritual, emotional, and financial health of, I guess, your workers or your community. And you've done things like the compost house and Yogi's Garden. So can you maybe just pick one that you're really, I don't know, excited about, not just for what it's done already, but for the potential it has as we move through and out of this pandemic? Well, this is, I think, is go back again to uh, what I said about role model, right? We just have to be positive all the time, away from whatever happened. So I'm just, I don't know, I'm just feeling lucky enough to be already in a track about all of this movement. Eight, eight years ago, when I started uh, doing the server, Naya, working for, for free for the communities, we created a compost house. And I'm the leader of the environment department. So nobody like, okay, we're going to ask for... 150,000 US dollars from the money we made out of Monkey Forest to implement it into a project to waste as a waste management project. I have to make a presentation. First presentation on a PowerPoint ever in my village meeting of 670 families representatives. And we just talk, it's going to be boring for them to listen what we're talking about. And then we have the photograph, we have a slide projector, you know, and luckily that we have a really good leader and a really good team to to present this one, to plant it right. Until now, we have the best compost house, not just organizing the waste from our people and also the business people in Padang Tagal. They have to part, to be part of the program. we bringing the compost over there. Now we have about 57 chamber there, and each chamber could hold about three trucks of organic garbage. 
And that one implemented and then processed into compost with fermentation, all of that. And now we have additional project on that one. Permaculture garden, organic garden, already producing. So the produce of that one is organic. And then we open it and we sell it to the community. They could go there, okay, this week we have this ready to be picked, this price. The price is basically the cost price. Up. So they're just giving people example. Even out of this crisis, there's something we can do about it. You know, we use just to, for me, I'm, I'm the same ways also than in a small scale, I teach my employee, you know, how we separated the garbage in all of the businesses we have. I bought a truck specializing in taking my organic garbage to the farm I have in Payangan, which is 21 kilometers away from my businesses every single day. In a normal way, I have one or two cubic worth of garbage, organic garbage, I bring up there in the morning and turn it into compost and feed it to free rain chicken. And after that, turn it into compost. In the end of the day, the same truck will be bringing the fresh fixed vegetable from organically grown garden to be used in my businesses. So just a sample about that, you know, like a foundation, people see it. You know, we do things economically right, ecologically right, and became a sustainable type of businesses. And my workers in the first place, before the crisis, like, why, why would we have to do that? Well, you know, we have to show how we could take care of the nature. And now those foundation in this crisis, there's a lot of my employees, they're going back, they're doing gardening. Right? So luckily, the, some of them, they still have spare hand. Even one of them resigned. It used to be my maintenance person. Now he's doing supplying and selling the uh, aqua, what you call it? The aquaponic with pipe and all of that. He's creating that one, the hydroponics set to be sell. So people could grow vegetable in agroponics ways. So that kind of stuff basically already, you know, like it is, it is pandemic, it is a disaster, but also in the same ways, we could pick up the spirit of it, you know, how we turn that pandemic into a positive thing. And we are the one who became the role model of it. I didn't have the money, but I cannot sell it. Nobody believed me when I said I have no money. I have a lot of businesses. No way that you didn't have the money, but we have to show people, okay, we didn't have the money. We're willing to share. What could we share? We share. I have the yogi's farm up there. If people come to me like uh, need vegetables. Just go, just pick the vegetables. I didn't have the money, but I give them example about what could be trade, what could be, you know, provide for people, and all of the opportunity we have. And the other thing also that we make sure, you know, in this kind of pandemic, that as I said earlier, the HR of our company is still up. Even simple things. Somebody like, oh, he got a fever, he got sick. Like we make sure that they're taken care. Of. Away from we have money or not, uh, they'd have to be taken care of because if they're six hundred and you know, will be influencing everybody. And we have to maintain the spirit, I think. You're not just about, you know, how much money you could give, but also how you could create a comfortable kind of feeling with everybody who became part of your family. I'm not different than them, you know, I just I just see in front of them. First maybe to start seeing the, the road and then okay, just walk that road together. So we not just have to see what in front of us, but also we have to see, you know, where we stand, where we walk, and who we walk with. So I just, you know, like, I'm lucky enough yeah, to be able to have workers for a long time. I still have workers from my first business in 2004 at Cafe. 
So one of the workers, he used to be my dishwasher 2004 as a head chef at the yoga bond. So I increased them. That's the opportunity we have to say, I'm not, I'm looking out just if I didn't have the human resources in my company to be upgraded. If there's somebody want to take the responsibility, we train them, we give them opportunity. And the same thing like that, you know, like, that's like, they've been there dedicated their life to be part of the success. And we have to appreciate them. They, they have the right to have the, word, the reward in many, many ways. Mm. You know, not that's financial, but opportunity how to be, you know, raised mm. in a higher level. And uh, I still have my workers, the builder from 1987. Same family. Their dad's retired, now their son is with me. So, you know, like, things like that, you know, it's just a very, com I'm comfortable with them because they know, you know, where the thing is, you know. Oh, where's my wood I bought about five years ago? They know where it is. I didn't need to train them. They, they're familiar with the way how we work. So I think in that way, this is why I call them, they're not my workers, they, they're part of my family. Because they are in some ways, you know, they are already there, been, well, the business 2004, now it's already like 16 years, right? So the big jump from I just worked 2004 with only three people as a housemaid helping me cook my food. Until now, we have 300 families behind all of these businesses. If just me and Megan, it's not going to happen. They are the one who nutrition. They are the one who make it big. They are the one in front row, basically, greeting the customer. Be nice, you know. They could recognize the customer from the first year we opened. And we still have repeating the customer. I'm never there. But the customer feel good because they see the same person. They're greeting the same ways, you know, like welcoming them, come back, creating this kind of mm. situation. So I think, you know, to be the one who in front row, not just as a business owner, but also we have to give them a role model. What should be done and how we should be part of that. And I guess this wasn't something that I originally asked, planned on asking you, but it's kind of coming up now with really unpacking what is holistic in the sense of community, but also tourism. And, you know, what you're sharing is really a shining example of what it means to serve the community during this crisis. And Bali's been through this one. So this is just, you know, history kind of repeating itself. Um, and also, you are a bridge person. So, you know, tourism will eventually come back. Hopefully, it will. It will. And do you see, for example, Compost House, do you, in your vision, because you've created so many things, do you see there being an opportunity to um, continue to invest in Compost House, but then when tourism opens up, to bring tourists into this world and teach them about what you're doing? Is that also an avenue of... Tourism? The, the bigger picture of it is how to maximize the positive aspect of tourism. So it could be maintaining the life, maintaining the culture, which we call it like sustainable tourism, holistic tourism. This is not more than, you know, just basically how the tourism could be taken care of and how it could be contributing. So the big pictures of the Rumah Compost when we created in 2008 years ago, Simply, first, the first year, our goal is basically no one dumped their garbage into the river, no one burned their non-organic garbage, and no one buried the ground. 
And then that the first year we achieved that first year. And then we walked because we didn't really have a facilities to organize our non-organic garbage. And then we turned it into the government facilities which have that. So we're just taking care of organic garbage. But the biggest picture we have basically, now monkey forests have about 1,100 monkeys. We're spending in a normal way before pandemic about 240 million rupiah a month for the fat of the monkey. And because of the pandemic, we didn't have the money, but this monkey have to be fed. So what do we do? Now we're looking for, before we buy the, like the prime uh, sweet potato, the size maybe 10 centimeters diameters, but the, the monkeys still eat the four centimeters diameters. So then we still, okay, we're going to need about 650 kilogram worth of sweet potato every day. We buy the one from the farmers with a cheaper way. So now we got it for 200 and, uh, 2,400 a kilo. We got that. The volume wise, the monkey have to be fed with the volume they needed to be fed. The variety of the food have to be handled in the same. So we feed them with sweet potato. Uh, we have a sweet corn, not regular corn, a sweet corn about, what is it right now, about 2,000 pieces every two days. So 1,000 pieces corn every day. We have banana at least about the same amount because the monkeys is about 1,100. So if, if one monkey got one banana, we're going to need about 1,100 banana a day. And then in between, we have a papaya leaf. Wow, these monkeys That's, are eating very healthy. Papaya leaf is really good care for malaria, for a lot of things. So that's their salad. So the rumah compost, from 2008 until now, the original uh, area of monkey forest it used to be 8.5 hectares. Now we expand with the money from monkey forest. We have 22 hectares. So we have extra land. We have a compost house producing compost. We have pandemic now, and we're taking our community back. Two days ago, we have a social work. The community go there taking care of the sweet potato plant. We're turning the extra land in the community, which belong to the village, into a garden, organic garden with the compost from organic uh, from a compost house that producing the food not just for the monkey but also producing vegetables for our people so what is the next step we want to create use this opportunity we have a parking lot over there we have a yard over there which easily could be turning into weekend organic market which basically going to be became attraction so what is that going to be okay this area could it be not just a tourist attraction, but also could be central education for environmental project. So you're describing an ecosystem and the way in which tourists enter is, wow, I heard about Monkey Forest in Ubud, got to check it out. And every time people come to Monkey Forest, they see, ah, it's not just a place where not I can go and, and it's a tourist no. attraction. It's not just about the monkeys, although that's very important, but it's also supporting the livelihood of the earth and the people who work there and who are able to create surplus produce and, and perhaps sell it at a market and also enough land for the compost to be made. So yeah, it's a we, whole we, ecosystem. We just basically want to, to have a showcase in a bigger scale, community-based tourism, ecotourism, holistic tourism in one place. Mm -hmm. So what do we have? Compost House is not just a place where we have and process our organic garbage. Next to it, we have theater could accommodate about 150 people with a big screen like a, a movie theater. 
for education for on environment where we could play the environmentally uh, video and film all of that so we invited other villages to come also to be this is what we have to do this is the theater could be held in classes and all of that stuff so when we go there you know all this basically monkey forest it's just two things we could see there we see the monkey we see the forest but now monkey forest is not just monkey we just finished with creating a soccer football field the class of the grass on that one is international standard that's became a sports center for the villages we're losing all of the open space for our kids the public space we didn't have we have a jogging track around them so people go there they could jog they could you know doing sport they could simply meet people and then add on to it we have organic market in the future we have organic garden there we have a compost house we have education and all of that and the next thing basically we want to have a school so that could be not just a tourist attraction but also as a central education and also a showcase how the tourism could benefiting to the community you know we're making a lot of money from the entrance of monkey forest this money the monkey forest supposed to making about 92 billion rupiah this year but because of pandemic it's not last year we making 50 billion rupiah where's the money goes we got the third largest village bank in bali which could giving a micro loan to our community without all of this red tape they have to go through on admin wise you have ktp you show yourself and the members of the pledge you go there you have ac loan for small businesses we're supporting the education, giving scholarship every year. This year, about 300 million for our youth to go to school. We're supporting the healthcare. We, we spend about 300 to 400 million a year. And we have our own clinic where people simply could go and get a first aid for help. They have a headache, okay, go at least, you know, aspirin is available over there, vitamin is available over there. Every year we invited specialists to come including, you know, like we're doing also like pap smear for check for woman in the which you do that. So the money generated from monkey forest, we use it, turn it into a positive aspect of it. And every five years, the village bank, our LPD, being able to collect enough profit to have a mass cremation for this loved one already been dead for the last five years for free. So that's all of this aspect, you know, like if we could, we could show people but what could be done and how is holistic tourism could be influencing and vibrating the community in the good ways, Bali could survive a long time. It's really, um, yeah, my mind is blown right now because um, <laughs> we talked about this before the podcast, but, you know, especially during this crisis, a lot of people are talking about, oh, I want to go move to um, an intentional community or we should go and create a community. And you and I had a laugh because it's like, well, what about just looking at the people around us and asking ourselves, what can I do? What can I um, contribute to actually um, find the community within the already existing kind of infrastructure or I don't know if that's the word, but just how can I find the community within the community? This, this, right? is, this is the different, you know, the different uh, why we became resilient. 
Balinese married to the land. We married to the cultures. We're not moving anywhere much. We stay here, good or bad. It's my village. You know, it could be like gold rain at the other side, but I still like better the, the stone rain here and how you could turn the stone to be a, a positive thing. I saw there's a lot of, you know, like even in the pandemic, for example, a lot of people moved out, moved, moved out of Ubud. And I, we laughed together when I said, like, now Ubud, they said, became a ghost town just because the tourists left Ubud. Now we are the local, we are the ghosts. Because it is a ghost town, and only the ghosts live in the village, right? But, you know, the things right now, we become resilient because we are in the limitation right now. Often the limitation push you to be creative. The limitation of the end of it. Limitation of condition, how you could turn it around to be, to be opportunity. And this is what basically in Bali, you know, we live and the society is not called a village before the organization called Sukha Dukha. Banjar Sukha Dukha. The Banjar for happiness and sadness. You stick together. Not just for happiness, but you stick together also for sadness. So, in that kind of term, you know, like, okay, we're going to be here. We have responsibility. We have the right. The right is to be in the village, being a village member, but also you have to the responsibility. What you have to do, do things on your capacity as a pangaya, as a, a server. You're serving what you can do. As a business owner, as a teacher, as a, whatever. You just be part of the whole system. So that's basically, I think, later on creating that we could be a, a, a true resilient. We not run away from the problem. We have the problem. We have to finish it. A lot of people maybe choose to move out. And what? If there's a problem there again in the new place, they're going to move again? So it's just like marriage and divorce, right? When you married, you have your honeymoon time. All of a sudden, the marriage does not work anymore. And then you move on, you split up, you find someone else. You have another honeymoon. What about if that honeymoon is over? You have the third honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, for us, basically, well, we live here. That's why Bali call like the Banyar Sukaduka, not just a Banyar, Banyar Sukaduka, Organization for Happiness and Sadness. So I love that analogy. And when you say... Um, they left. I, this ties into my next question. So we've been talking a lot about, of course, the Balinese community and how together you have um, really been creative during this time to take crisis and really turn that into opportunity and really strengthening that connection to, um, you know, community for happiness and sadness. And it all really um, makes sense when you explain it that way. And I, I wonder if we could just shift our minds into um, the Western community that has called Bali their home. And, you know, you mentioned a lot of people left. So from where you sit, and of course, because you're also married to Meg and you are a bridge person between both of these cultures and communities, do you feel like the Western community that lives here has really showed up in these times to be part of the community and to really be in service of Bali? I think, I think it's the same thing. It's, there's not really that big difference to me between Western community, local community, Indonesian community. It's just two sides of the lifestyle, right? A lot of people choose to be part of the problem. 
a lot of people choose to be getting out of the problem. So the way how you're getting out of the problem is left the problem behind or walk with the problem. So there's a lot of effort, you know, like a lot of uh, guests, I would call it, I'm not making any difference between local Indonesian and Western. I would say like the origin Balinese people, the Pandudu Asli, the origin people who live here, and also the people who come as a guest. Could be long-term guests, could be temporary guests, right? So, of course, people putting in a many different situations. You know, people who come here for whatever reason. People come here who just love Bali, be part of it, and live here with the local. People who see the opportunity economically, who come here for economic reason, build their business over here. I cannot say they are bad people when they left, when the opportunity of businesses is not here anymore, because that's, that's, that's the business. The people go for the profit. When the profit is not there, they left. You know, I'm not saying there's a bad. That's just a different way of how to see things. You know, the people have a different vision why they come to Bali. They came here, became just blend with the local. They came here simply just want to pass by. Or uh, my friend come to board. They said it's nice. I want to see what the board is. And from there leading to oh, I come here to the board right now. I love board. I want to leave here temporary. Or people come here like my wife come here and just like. You know, married with me, and we are here, but we didn't know for how long it's going to be. You know, like so things happening for quite a reason. There's a lot of initiative basically already started and been done because of both Westerners and local guests, a long-term guests here. But also, there's some people, even our local people, doesn't really like the problem. They choose to laugh, right? So I think it's just a, a normal uh, kind of uh, phenomenon, but. I would say my from my personal basically, I would rather okay, we do have a problem here. We're benefiting a lot out of this situation by being in a boat. At the first place we come to wood because we see this benefit we could get out of there, indirectly or not indirectly, economically, spiritually, or internet personal level or group level, you know. Why people come to one place? Because they think like that place is good, that place is I could do something over there, I could live over there, you know. So this benefit from whatever shape or form, right? So now the next thing, how are you creating this benefit to the next level? You're just gonna get the benefit yourself for your personal use, or you could be passive contributing. So if you get the benefit, Realizing, okay, on some extent, we do have a responsibility how we could distributing that happiness to other people. So you got some happiness, don't keep it yourself because they're just going to be small. <laughs> Give it away. So this is the same way I think, you know, like in a commodity, we talk, okay, we do have a problem right now, what we should do? Well, we have to share. Share the happiness and now we share the problem. So if the people move out, you know, is that wrong? I don't think that's wrong. That's, the, that's what they choose to do. But again, you know, again, the pattern is just because one thing happening on one place and you move on to another place. You know, and now it's really up to those two. Is that a good or bad? You know, I'm, I'm not going to be judgment about that kind of stuff. But I think we have a choice. We have a preference about what we're going to do. Are we going to be part of the problem? If you want to change. You have to be part of this changing. You cannot just analyze the problem from your AC room and think this is bad and this is how it's supposed to be. So be there for it. <laughs> well said. And um, 
Yeah, I really appreciate you, um, yeah, kind of going deeper and looking at, right, if you want things to change, it's really about changing, you know, within and being, yeah, okay with the, the, the light and the dark and the duality of life and to know that everything's always changing anyway. So, you know, if being part of a community is commitment. Yeah, it is. You know, I thought from the beginning, life always have two sides of it. When there's dark, there's light. You have to know the bad side of life in order to appreciate the good side of it. So, just like a piece of coin. One side is good and the other side is bad. And that's how the Balinese also see the heaven and, and, and hell. The heaven is not up there. And the hell is down here. No. The hell is the other side of heaven. And how you could be in a harmonious way if you could create the balance in between. You recognize the bad, but use that one as orientation how you move on. You need the bad side <laughs> to be able to see the light at the other side. Right. That's what it means to be alive. Right? <laughs> so as we kind of come to a close, I, I have two more questions for sure. you. And I want to know from your perspective, where do you see Bali heading now as, as the world kind of goes through a second lockdown or a second wave? How do you feel about the future of Bali? It's a, yeah, it's interesting to me because uh, I saw Bali from its dirt road. I born 1964, no cars, very limited car, no television, no electricity. Until now, we are in a 5G world. So not even in my lifetime, half of my lifetime already sending the big chunk. But every step of it have a different, uh, different uh, what you call it, accepting value in some ways. When I said earlier, from the mass tourism became more selected kind of holistic living tourism. Now we have holistic, uh, we have a kind of spiritual healing, all of that. And now add on to it with a factor of health. When the bomb hit Kuta, the first priority is safety. Now we have the safety, right? On some extent. Now we have health problem. So the tourism will be turning into put the health factor as the first consideration. Where are you going to go? So this is going to turn Bali into the healthy place to be. So from before, we're just thinking about, you know, when I fly for my, my lesson for the uh, Bali Spirit Festival, I have international crowd coming. I have to apply for safety, for the, for the permit, all the way to the federal uh, uh, policeman in Jakarta. And now that's not enough because you add on, you have to apply the protocol of health. So the health has become the important consideration, the important aspect of tourism in the future, which is, I think is really good, right? So people start talk, talking about distancing, you know, it's supposed to be, we're supposed not to have the big crowd happening. Bali is too small. Should we bring all of the people to Bali? I don't think so. Bali already have its own identity. This is the tourism in Bali. It's different than tourism in Flores, different than tourism in uh, other places of the world. So Bali, keep Bali as Bali. And Bali in some ways, you know, turning from art and cultures 
spiritual tourism turning into kind of man-made man tourism. Do we have to have it all in Bali? No, we didn't. So now, if we do it right, this is a filter of movement, how to providing Bali. Because as I said earlier, tourism not just about money maker. Tourism also have its mission to do conservation of the cultures. Now is the time for it. Mm. Amazing. Wow. Yeah, I love that vision. And I think you are the best person to ask. So definitely <laughs> going to be checking in with you to see how this vision is coming to life as we navigate the future. It's going to be more difficult than just discussing, but, you know, we have to start somewhere. <laughs> One foot in front of the other. And to come to a close, can you, with all of your wisdom and philosophy and life experience, can you leave our audience with one message or question that they can reflect on beyond this conversation? Wow, that's hard. <laughs> wisdom, that's a hard term. But, um, you know, every, every life has its own stage. Uh, if life is a drama, we just want out of this character. And uh, for me, basically, everybody has uh, opportunity to be part of the whole scenes. I think for me right now, with the pandemic going on, we're just seeing Bali from before and now. Yeah, we have to move on. The first thing I think basically is our consciousness toward the environment. We live in this world, we share things together. We have to be more than ready to think and to do something about this life is not ours. This life is belong to the next generation. Mm. Yeah, we just come here, we landed a time, we given a time and an opportunity, not on the life, but how to share a life, how to take care of this. So when we left, then we leave it in a good condition for the next one who's going to use it. In Bali, the term is very simple. For example, if you go to the party, you didn't have really good outfit to be used. You go to your neighbor, you borrow clothing. You borrow it to be used. And then when you're done with that, if you probably go to laundry mat, wash it and iron it, fold it nicely, and return it to the person who lent it to you. Thank you. This is now back in a good condition. They would not think twice to lend you again for the next time you need it. But if you didn't use it in the right way, you used it to party, you spilled wine on it and got stained and go back there, people look at you like you didn't appreciate it, what I have. Same thing with life. We give them this opportunity, use things wisely. You know, don't take any things for granted. Because in the end of it, we have to let it go. As our elder said, when you give to be alive, you have to learn how to go home in a good way. Wow. Ooh, so much wisdom there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, I mean, even just thank you also for pointing out, you know, in terms of language, how you see language in Bahasa, because that gives me a window into the culture as well. And I mean, even now you've said so many things, but yeah, just, I just love the way that you guys approach life and death isn't this scary thing. It's just going home and um, yeah. the word leader doesn't exist because we're all 
leaders we within ourselves. Leaders. It's just, there's a lot of stuff to really think about and to marinate on. So <laughs> I guess we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much, Jeff, for, for coming on the show and just, yeah, inspiring and sharing your life with us and keep on doing your work of activism. I think that you're a really great example of that. Right. Yes, that's all we can do. Keep trying. And yeah, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Again, if you feel um, lifted, uplifted, and shifted in some way, please give us a subscribe, share, or review. Um, Really love sharing these stories. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. The Alt Normal. Thanks for tuning in to The Alt Normal. I'm your host, Tiffany Wen, and this show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of dig, seed, grow.